Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard The Kids Are All Dying by Phineas yet, but yo. That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life, dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Tesh, a.k.a. John C. Riley, a.k.a. Father John Misty, a.k.a. John till November, I'll be John till November. Yo, tell my girl, yo, I'll be John till November, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back once again with another episode of the show. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. A little later on, I am joined by the fantastic Michael McDermott. Michael has such an incredible story to tell, and we have an awesome conversation that I can't wait for you to hear. What's up, y'all? Well, you may have noticed that last week, there was no podcast episode. No podcast? It's not going away. We're still going to do the occasional little bonus episode in the off weeks, but only if and when I have something to share. And last week... I didn't have something to share. I don't want obligation to force the magic, you dig? Dig. I hope you enjoyed the last episode with Nicole Atkins. There's a moment in there where we're talking about songwriting, and Nicole talks about how early on she was writing songs, but they weren't necessarily the kind of songs that she would want to listen to, until that eureka moment when she found her sound and all of that changed. Why do I bring this up? Well, I bring it up because this interview today with Michael McDermott, this is the kind of podcast that I would want to listen to. There's a lot in here beyond music, about life and expectation and addiction and recovery, about connection, about being human. This is the kind of stuff I've longed for. And that isn't to say I haven't achieved it in past episodes, but this one, I don't know. This one was fulfilling. And we'll get to that in one minute. When I was in high school, I was an enormous fan of what could be considered novelty songs. You know, the expected things like Weird Al and Fish Heads and the other brilliant songs you'd find on Dr. Demento. But also TV theme songs and commercial jingles and bands like Herman's Hermits and the Partridge Family and the DeFranco Family and all that good, good corny pop. Those were some of my earliest Johns. As a matter of fact, catch me on a good day and I might tell you how the DeFranco family's heartbeat is a love beat is the greatest piece of pop art ever created. And I will not allow you to argue with me about that because that is a fact. But I digress. These songs may hold the key to the creation of the website Yo That's My John and in turn this podcast because I didn't love these things ironically. I didn't love them with any guilt. No, these weren't guilty pleasures to me. They were my Johns, and one of my all-time favorite Johns is the music created by Marsha and Greg and Jan and Peter and Cindy and Bobby. Yes, guys, I am talking about the music of the Brady Bunch. I don't know if you know this or not, but beyond the music featured on the classic 70s sitcom, the Brady Kids released four albums. Five if you count the duet album between Maureen McCormick and uh, Chris Knight. Yeah, I could go on and on about It's a Sunshine Day and Time to Change and the delicious cruelty of making poor little Cindy Brady sing Frosty the Snowman with that signature lisp of hers. 
spoiler alert, there are a lot of S's in that song. But today, dear friends, today I just want to take a moment to talk to you about the manic fever dream that is the Brady Bunch cover of Don McLean's seminal classic 1971's American Pie. Folks, if you have not heard this, allow me to describe it for you. The Brady Bunch's version of American Pie sounds like what I imagine a murder cult of children would sound like prior to taking turns stabbing you repeatedly as if you were Julius Caesar. Et tu, Brady? Listening to it conjures the fear, is this real? Am I hearing this? Or am I having a stroke? If you told me that it held the same supernatural properties as the video in the movie The Ring, that your death would now be on the horizon just for the crime of listening to it play, guys, I would believe it. And I love every goddamn second of this song. The madness starts slow and melodically on the piano, as you may expect it to start, but instead of greeting the listener with the story-starting opening lines of a long, long time ago, we are snapped out of our comfortable bed of ivory with a wah head on the guitar and the janky beginnings of pure 70s variety show swagger. Where are we headed? On a one-way ticket straight to verse number four, bypassing all of the setup and barreling straight into the Manson error segment of the song Helter Skelter in a Summer Swelter It is madness But mad as that may be It pales in comparison to the pure Whimsical nature that the Brady clan Gleefully delivers the fifth verse line Fire is the devil's only friend I do not understand who asked for this But I am here for it They sing through references to Hell's Angels and lighting the sacrificial rite with Satan laughing in delight and they sing the chorus a few more times and then they're out. They literally recorded a cover just to sing two of six verses and then they bounced. I love this song so much because I can't figure out why it even exists. Who knew that on that one day when that lady met that fella that their union would gift humanity with such a curious and confusing piece of pop art. The day the music died, oh no, my friends, this, this is the good stuff. My guest today is a singer, songwriter, and musician who burst onto the scene in the early 90s with his debut record, 620 West Surf, and its single, A Wall I Must Climb. His songwriting had critics drawing comparisons to Dylan and Springsteen, and he found himself in the pages of Rolling Stone magazine and the New York Times. The Washington Post called him one of his generation's greatest talents, and Stephen King has said that he is possibly the greatest undiscovered rock and roll talent of the last 20 years. Over the years, he has released over 10 albums, and his most recent release, House Arrest, is a collection of live quarantine recordings and is available streaming on all of the major streaming services. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show today, Michael McDermott. All right, I think we're going. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by today by the great Michael McDermott. Michael, thank you for joining me here on Yo, That's My John. Thank you for having me. And let me, I wanted to wait till we started to tell you this, the reason, so, you know, I get asked to do a fair amount of podcasts, which I almost always say no. So I got sent uh, by my publicist, got sent your links and I, I took a chance. I thought, Oh, we'll see what this is about. And I thought 
not blowing smoke. I thought you were so amazing. Like your intro, just some random thing. I literally said, this guy's like a star. I oh, my God. I, was, I, I told my wife as we went on a walk this morning, I said, this guy's like a star. He's smart. He's quick. He's, uh, you know, it, it was, you were amazing. You sold me on it. Uh, just not knowing who you were, I, uh, I thought, and I wrote Mike. I said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'll, uh, I'll do it. Holy crap. That is high praise. I'm yeah. like, uh, I, you can't tell because there's a red light on me, but I'm literally <laughs> blushing right now. That is no, really you, whatever you're doing. And you said this was born out of the pandemic and you know, I mean, there's, and I'm not, I'm trying, not trying to hijack it. Um, no, go. But, you know, the, the, the pandemic, you know, there's always, there's, I always, I was trying to look at it in a, in a certain way when it happened and everyone was kind of paralytic about what was going to happen next. I always just tried to see it, you know, as like, this could be a great opportunity, you know, and I know a lot of people suffer and I know a lot of people died, but you know, like there are, I think a lot of great things will be born from it, you know, out of the, out of the desperation or the necessity. I, there's always, you know, throughout history, great moments of crisis, you know, lead to great moments of uh, in, uh, invention or, uh, you know, uh, anything, you know, so great art, you know, so. Completely, you know, one of the things, um, and I kind of mentioned it here and there, but like one of the things that I've enjoyed, which is a weird u- word to use about uh, the pandemic, but one of the right. things that I've really appreciated is um, it, it as, as polarized as everything is, I feel like the music community and people's appreciation of music and performance has um, kind of been recharged and renewed, right? Like, yeah. you know, so many different people st- live streaming and putting on shows in their homes and stuff like that and doing what needs to be done to just kind of do what we do and entertain, right? Yeah. I mean, it reminded us all of what is really important and, and music too. Like, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, but live streaming was something, you know, I dabbled in and, and then it became my thing, you know, and, uh, and it, you know, and it was great on a level to, you know, uh, rethink about what it is you do and how you do it and to what level you do it at, you know? And yeah. that was, uh, that was really um, a revelation to me during that, that time is, you know, I think I was, uh, I, I learned a lot about, uh, about me and about what it is I do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I like to start all these off by kind of just telling the guest a story or something about a connection um, that I have. And my connection with you is very weird. And there is a zero point zero 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 one chance you're going to remember this. OK, okay. but um, back in like. God, I can't even remember when it was. We're going to say like 2009, but probably maybe even further than that. Um, I used to host an open mic night in Philadelphia, a buddy of mine. Um, And uh, after a show one night, you ended up there with a bunch of people and you were just there hanging out. And all of your people kept coming over to me and they were like, you have to get him to play. You have to ask Michael to play. He'll, he'll only play if you ask him. And I'm like, I'm not bothering him. Like, I'm just I'm like, if he wants to play, he can play. I'm not put don't put this on me. Right. So my buddy and I came over to you and we were just like, look, if you want to play. You're more than welcome to use our guitar and play, but you don't have to do it. Please just, you know, right, chill, right. enjoy your night. And then you played and you fucking kicked. Ass I, I do think I remember that. I mean, I think there was. Uh, you know, I mean, I was always in a condition of sorts, you know, um, but yeah, I think I, it wasn't an, what was the name of the bar? Do you remember? It was uh, Kildare's. 
It yes. was an Irish pub. I, I was say it was an Irish pub. Yes, I remember that. I do okay. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was uh, my I weird. I remember playing, but I, I, I do remember kind of like, yeah, I remember. I, and I know who I was. You know, the, there's a guy, um, Dennis Shea, who was kind of the, the mayor of Philly. who was takes me around and, you know, you never know where you're going to end up. And that, that was a place. Yeah. That's awesome. I have some pictures from uh, that night, actually. I'll have to send them through so you okay, can good. check them out. Um, but uh, so tell me a little bit about um, growing up. Like uh, when you were a little kid, what was kind of what kind of music was playing around the house? Like what was what was the 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 seed of music? Wow. So so growing up, it, there wasn't a ton of music. My my brother played a little bit. and But my folks like on road trips, you know, like now my, I defer all radio selections to my daughter, which was never like that growing up for me. It was just, you didn't ever suggest turning off Nat King Cole or the Clancy brothers or the, you know, whatever. Yeah. So my, we're totally, they weren't wildly involved in music. Uh, they listened to it, but just kind of on a peripheral level. Um, so yeah, so music wasn't uh, really a part of my life until like eighth grade, really. I mean, I think I played, I, mean, I played violin third grade, you know, dabbled in certain stuff but uh it was seeing the rolling stones that kind of changed uh i was in eighth grade and that 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 blew my mind you know oh that's unbelievable um I never, I never wanted to be mick though i was like i always wanted to be keith you know which i i uh i got the drug addiction part i did that uh, <laughs> and uh so yeah so but uh yeah i was kind of wanted i always saw myself as a side man but then you know as you start bands and lead singers drop out you know they call that like the lsd the lead singer disease and mm-hmm. uh thing where it's, it's tough to keep them happy and uh so i just out of, out of necessity again a moment of necessity that i just started singing and you know it was pretty brutal for a lot of years and uh but then you know just because i couldn't find singers to, st- to stay in the band yeah so uh what, what were those early bands uh when you're when, when's that start like high school or it, uh, no, yeah, eighth grade was the Stones. I became, you know, uh, uh, obsessed with the with the Rolling Stones, and then from there, it just kind of. Uh, I remember then. Uh, I remember in you know twelve, twelve years old, nineteen eighty or eighty one, hearing like Bob Dylan. I heard, you know, I heard all along the Watchtower his acoustic version, which was uh, really just kind of you know, open my mind to what a song could be in the stones, you know, and they, they tackled some, some serious subjects for sure. And, uh, but yeah, Dylan was just a revelation. And then, you know, like Springsteen, I heard the river and I remember going like, wow, you know, and it was just a different type of storytelling because my folks, you know, were, were from Irish descent and, you know, there was a great, great history of, you know, people just tell long stories, you know, the long Irish story, you know, so I was kind of, I grew up with, with the stories. And uh, so when I heard stories in song and, and it was really just a, um, a light bulb moment for me, you know, that's crazy. When do you, when do you start writing? Do you like immediately, like, if, were you writing poetry or anything prior yeah, to this? Yeah, doing stuff. Yeah. And, and being and it was, uh, you know, I'm sure terrible. And, but I was trying to do it immediately. Um, and then, so, you know, I was in bands through high school and uh but you know just kind of flailing and and just trying to make the best of it and then it came time uh, you know to what to do after high school now i knew i wanted to write songs and uh i was in bands and and but you know all my friends were going to college and so i i out of i went there was a record store opening up and i thought that's maybe my way into the music business you know i didn't realize retail was (laughs) nothing to do with the music 
And uh, so I worked there and, and I was continuing to write songs. And I had a friend of mine who would come back and give me all his English books, all his English literature books. And it was amazing because it was like a college education with just, he would just, instead of selling them back to the bookstore, he'd give them to me. And I'd be like, Oh, thank you so much. And, and, um, but I remember one funny story I was writing. Then I started getting in kind of, out of because I was alone and all my friends were gone. I started writing songs by myself. And there was a band that came in for an in-store one time called metal church. And I, and I, and, uh, so I had a demo tape, you know, and I remember going up to him. I'm like, hey, guys, would you take this? I mean, you know, what the hell would they have done? Metal Church have done with this mulleted folk singers uh, music. I'm sure they did a line of coke off it or something. And then <laughs> threw it of their van or something. But like it was. Uh, but that's how, how little I knew about how, you know, I'm in a small town. I want to get a record deal. I want to be on MTV. How's that? You know, I had no plan at all. Yeah, what what town? What was your hometown? Where where did you it's grow? Walnut up? Park, Illinois. Okay, um, and it's um, it's the house I'm in now. I grew up in this house. And, Holy, that's uh, crazy! Yeah, I know it is. And uh, you know, when my parents died, uh, they had left me the house. It was you know underwater, and and so I had to, I, they we lost it, and then I was able to get it back through a couple of. Uh, interesting gray area moves. And um, so, yeah, so I'm back here and, but, you know, it's like, I didn't, I, I never wanted to be here. You know, this is the town I always wanted to get away from. Mm-hmm. And uh, now somehow, you know, I wake up going, how the hell did this happen? You know, I was, you know, I lived in Memphis and lived in Seattle and New York and, uh, and so, but I'm back here. And, but so I, I said, if I can redo the house, just kind of get rid of all the ghosts and you mm-hmm. have an extra, of sorts, which is what I did. And we, we gutted it down to the studs and, and rebuilt it. And uh, so it's, it's, it's still has some history to it, but it's a new house for, for all intents and purposes, you know? Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, so you're working at the record store, you're giving metal church, your demos. Um, (laughs) Can you get, what are you, are you playing out at that point or are you just playing like coffee shops and stuff? No, I wasn't. So I, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune about like the folk scene here in Chicago. And, and you know, it's very storied, you know, John Prine, Steve Goodman, and, um, you know, Chris Christopherson discovered Goodman, you know, so th- there was a history about it. So I thought, there we go. There's, there's the way in. And so I cut out the article and I started just going to every open mic I could. And, you know, that kind of changed everything. And I, there was a guy who was running a, a, a uh, an open mic who was kind of a local hero and I became friends with him and he uh, his name was Mike Jordan of all things and it was like you know shortly after the Bulls drafted Michael Jordan and so it was you know weird thing but he um, then so he moved away but he said you should send your tape to this guy at the Chicago Sun-Times and I did and Nate, I'll tell you, it was like I sent him this thing. And I said, hey, I'm friends with Mike Jordan, whatever, a terrible five-song tape. And then he said, I'm going to come see you uh, in a couple weeks. I see you're doing a show at Orphans. And and uh, he did. And he wrote an article in, like, the Friday section. And somebody sent it to Brian Koppelman in New York. And uh, two weeks after that, he came to Chicago. And uh, a week after that, I, was, I mean, it was just the – just the luckiest thing in the world. That's you know? unbelievable. Did you yeah. have like a following at that point? Like did what? Was, no. What? no. <laughs> so it was just, it was just <laughs> by chance. Yeah. Yeah. And he came in and, and he came to see a show. So we got a band together to play at the Metro and we played and the show was okay. And I mean, cause we weren't a real band. It was just a singer. Yeah. 
some hired guys. And so after the show, I remember he, he said, yeah, it was good. And, uh, and I don't know if you know, Brian Coleman, he's, you know, he signed Tracy Chapman and now he does a show called billions. He wrote the movie yeah. rounders, you know, so he's, uh, so he, he has said, a podcast too, right? I think yeah, he does. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so anyway, so he said, yeah, uh, it's good. You know, uh, I don't think I'm going to sign you, uh, but maybe a publishing deal. He's like, why don't you come over to the hotel tomorrow and play me some more songs? And I thought, you know, and I felt, you know, I was 19 or whatever. I was like, Oh, that sucks. You know, cause then there goes the ship that I thought was pulling in. And, yeah. and then I said, all right. But then I thought, okay, maybe I'll just be a songwriter, you know, I can see that. And so I went down to his hotel the next day. He didn't have a flight till like three. So I got there at 10 and I played him songs and parts of songs. And I'm like, you know, I was just like a kid, like, like his life depended on it, saying, Oh, here's another one. I, it's just a chorus. It doesn't have a verse. And, and I'd play a chorus. And then he was just kind of like, I'm a bit just like, okay, this kid's crazy. And I just kept going and going. And then he had me come to New York and he just said, I do want to sign, you know, like you have all this, all these songs, you know, like, so anyway, that was it. And that was the beginning of it. Um, did you, did, did song, songwriting uh, come easy to you? Was that, I mean, cause if you had all those songs, was that, or was that just like years was, and years of. It was just, I, I was kind of alone. I didn't have any friends, you know, they're all gone and, you know, I just did it more than, you know, that was, I did it more than I did anything else. And that's how you get good at something. Just do it more than you do anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, no, it wasn't like, it was just like, you know, Shakespearean pen, you know, it was, uh, it was just grinding it out, you know, and I would just write and write and write and write and write and write and write. And at the end of the day, I'd look back or the next day I'd look back and all these pages and then I'd go, Oh, that's a good line. You know, circle that. And then, yeah. you know, cobble it together, you know, what what's what's your uh not to jump around or whatnot but what, what you know to that point what's your editing process like um do you do you have like just fragments kind of that you're like oh this piece could kind of go with that or, i do i do kind of do that i just i overwrite everything you know i would you know uh just you know three minute songs might have 10 pages of lyrics you know yeah and so it's just a it's a addition by subtraction at that point then i just you know, I cut it out. Sometimes I'll put it on the floor of going, okay, that is good. And that is not, and you know, just, it's a puzzle yeah. really. Yeah. Um, on the lyric tip, uh, your website uh, with the PDFs of lyrics is the, one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. Um, oh, like, you know, like, especially for someone um, as um, um, lyrical as you, um, but the, the, the kind of care uh, that went into the presentation of just, you know, instead of just, uh, essentially a copy paste on a website like right. I, I, I those that's a 100 like an amazing well, that, yeah we just kind of got that going good because it was a very shoddy thing until just recently kim kuman did the amazing job she uh a friend and a fan and she said you know like i could put this together nicely for you if you want yeah yeah please it looks so. great um yeah, so so back to you know so so he decided brian decides to sign you um yeah. what what kind of process went into creating that first album so w was there a lot of outtakes yeah, so, and so yeah so that i mean that was back in 1990 and you know um i mean the record cost you know 250 270 thousand dollars you know which is insane yeah you know yeah. you know like my last three records have been made for you know 12 or something you know <laughs> right yeah so it's uh it was so different and it was amazing and i was a kid and i you know hadn't really done much traveling and you know, i was out in los angeles and you know and this is uh you know the 90s so there's a lot of hair and a lot of 
you know, and I didn't, you know, I was, you know, like a very different, I was an oddball out there, you know, like there was Jane's addiction and, and like my manager managed Megadeth, the cult, Jane's addiction and Michael McDermott. Wow. Like what, what here doesn't belong, you know? <laughs> uh, so I was always feeling a little out of my element and, uh, but yeah, it was just, we did, they had Don Gaiman who produced all these Mellencamp records and just, uh, and uh, which was amazing. And he worked with Bee Gees and, and had huge success with Hootie and the Blowfish and, and that huge record. Uh, but yeah, so it was amazing to play with all these world-class musicians and it was uh, unbelievable. And so, and there was a lot of buzz about that record. And then MTV got on early and Buzzbin and Kurt Loder, The Week in Rock. And I mean, all this stuff started happening within, you know, in a year ago, I was, year and a half ago, I was giving Metal Church a, demo tape you know yeah and so it was a it was um it was uh it was amazing looking back at it now i don't even know how i how i dealt with it but then it was you know in new york and uh you know i was on cnn and rolling stone all this all these things you know my parents couldn't believe it you know i couldn't either and then the record came out and it had every opportunity, you know new york times washington post all these great quotes and everything nobody bought it you know, yeah, and uh, and as soon as it started, it felt like it was over. You know, really? and to be washed up at twenty two was a, you know, that was a bitter pill. And like, wait, it's it, that was it. Like, and that was it. And it was it really because you know MTV is this. You know, I was a family member there. And then why aren't they playing the second records? Uh, you know, it's complicated. You know, they took a chance on you. It didn't happen. Right. Not going to take another chance on you. You know, like. You know, they can only, they, they went out, they walked the plank and they got sawed off behind them. And, and so the, then suddenly no one was playing it. And, and it was a very, it was a long way down from there. You know? Yeah. Was there, was there any moment or any kind of reservation on continuing? Was there any point where you were like, uh, well, I did it and, and this is it. Like, yeah, I know. I was talking to my wife the other day about that. There was really no reason I should have kept doing it, but I think out of lack, I mean, I think of my stubbornness, you know, and just like, and, and I and it was so many years of being ignored, really, and being on the outside. And I, I likened it to being like at a house party and you went out back to the patio where the keg was and to have a smoke and fill your beer. And then they locked the door on me. And I was like, hey, hey, can I come like, wait, is that, you know, I was invited to this party like and now I'm yeah. out. And I figured if I just wait in the backyard as long as I can until they either have to open the door, or the party's over and like, or I find an open bathroom window. And that's what I did. I just waited them out until like I was so forgotten about that. It was almost like when I came back, it was kind of like a new thing again. Yeah. Um, how did uh, how did uh, how did Stephen King happen upon you? I mean, that's yeah, that was that was a crazy that we, I was on the road, you know, so grinding out another record and another record. And I was on the road with the Cowboy Junkies and uh and, you know, in a van uh, with one other guy. And anyways, uh, you know, people would bring books and stuff. And, you know, that wasn't uncommon. But then there was this kind of uh, funny looking book. And, and I, I looked at it and I was like, what is this? And I opened the first few pages and my guitar player said, somebody left it for you and uh, asked me to give this to you. And I looked at it and it said, hey, Michael, I'm a huge fan. Um, as you can see, your lyrics are on page 741 and i was like wait what and i was like 
And I was like, Stephen King? Like, so anyway, I couldn't, I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on? And uh, so anyway, so that was it. And that, the tour ended a couple of days later. And I just thought, it's so weird. Like, I don't know anything about this. And like, he's using, and I think I'd kind of forgotten about it, but I was playing basketball in my sister's driveway and she opened the window and yelled at, you know, like I had a phone call and I was like, I'm in the middle of a game. Like, and she's like, it's Stephen King. And I was like, <laughs> The writer and I was like, wait, and why is he calling your house? How does he even know this number? Wait, so everybody at the court, we all stopped and looked at each other. I was like, so I went in and uh, and he was like, hey man, you know, uh, coming to town, just you know, big fan, wanted to know if you wanted to go to a Cubs game, and I was like, uh, yeah, man, you know, like, uh, yeah. so anyway, so he's like, so I had like, you know two days to read this book, you know, which is 900 pages. So I was like, oh, shit, man. Is this out on DVD yet? Uh, and so, you know, I powered through it and it stayed up forever. And, uh, and then we we met at the Cubs game at Wrigley and uh, sat down and I was all prepared to go deep on the book, you know, because it was a grind to get through, you know, I think it was 900 pages or something you know, in two days. And uh, so I said, listen, man, got to tell you, Book's great. He's like, ah, fuck that. I don't want to talk about that. What are you listening? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, really? Oh, can I just talk about your book just to prove to myself I read that, it? that you did it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was that. Um, and you know, so uh, you know, he's a busy guy. He's brilliant. I mean, amazing the way he sees the world. The way he, you know, still works harder than anybody I know. Writes six hours a day. You know, it's just insanity. You know, and uh, but then he came down to Memphis and, you know, because he doesn't like to be around on Halloween for his house, as you can imagine, that would be sure. a pain in the ass having all these crazies come to your flock of pilgrimage to your house. So, he, yeah, you know, so anyway, we, we've hung out on occasion. I haven't talked to him in a while, uh, occasional email, but um, yeah, he was a huge. And then he said, you know, I, I want to write the liner notes to your record. And I thought, man, that'd be great. And. And so he's, you know, done everything he could to try to help. And that was another thing. And then that third record, we thought, this is great. we got a great batch of songs. Stephen King's on board. And and, um, and I don't know if, I think in some ways that, you know, music critics, I think the the way we did it with the label, we we led with the Stephen King, this effusive three, four, three or four pages of praise for me. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that almost like backfired in some ways. I think people were like, "Don't tell me what I." Hope I are you still there? I got a little connection issue here. Hold on. Sorry about that. No worries at all. Um, that was weird. That's never happened to me ever before in my life. That's uh, the Stephen King. It's the Stephen King thing. He sent a ghost <laughs> through the machine. Dude, um, you should know to never bring up Stephen King. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so you kind of, so I just to kind of double back to where that was, you, you guys led off, um, kind of, uh, with, with the liner notes and with that praise. Yeah. I did. I don't know what you caught up from that, but I think that this is just, you know, uh, just my guess is it felt like the way that it was almost intentionally ignored that 
I think, you know, as, as critics were a little, uh, they pushed back on the Stephen King. And I think there were some comments like, don't send me like this thing, you know, like, cause they want to review it with a clear head. They don't want some famous writer telling them how great it is. And then if they don't write to agree with Stephen King, they're going against Stephen. you know, it seemed like yeah, there, was, sure. uh, there was actual kickback on it. And, uh, and so it really worked in, well, I don't want to say it worked against us. Cause I mean, that thing will, the quotes from that will be on my tombstone if there is one, but, uh, so yeah, so it uh, it was a that was then I think that was kind of a for me personally that was the end of the that's when my life started going into total disarray you know yeah um what what is that relationship like with critics because there's kind of you know that weird um, dance of like you don't want to give them. You don't want to write for a critic, but also right? you can't you can't let that not enter your head. So what uh, you're right. That's a great question. And I don't know if I can answer that honestly, um, because, yes, it does seep in. There is a on a subatomic level there. You know, you think, ooh, they might like that, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And because and I was I was adored on the first record, adored to ignored, really. And uh, and so that was, you know, like I think anytime you want to get up on stage or whatever, you have some need to be accepted on a, on a broader level. And uh, so, yeah. So like to then be ignored was, was uh, affected me in a, in a very negative way and it shouldn't have, you know? So, so when it went for years without being uh, and, and I, then I started doing it. So yeah, I'm jumping ahead, but uh yeah. So when in 2016, like it was already, you know, I had already kind of the ship had sailed and I, I, it was the first time and I was sober, my first record and clean. And, uh, and I didn't care really. Like I, that's, and I could say that honestly, I just didn't care about them anymore, you know, but it took a yeah. long, long time to shake. Why don't they like it? You know? Yeah. They, you know? I mean, especially when they're so on board early on, like it's I like yeah. I didn't change, so I don't yeah. know. You know. Yeah, and there's been few, not many, but that have been with me the whole way. But most of the people, uh, yeah, it was it was as if I is kind of like I didn't exist. You know, like I I think everybody was so on it, and when yeah. it didn't happen, they were all embarrassed and like. It's like the, you know, you tell the girl she's the most beautiful thing in the world, and then you won't even look at her at the mall when you see her. Like the next week, you're like, "Oh god!" Yep. <laughs> I, 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 got, I was drunk on it, and they were drunk on it because Irving Azoff, Brian Koppelman, every this is the thing. This is going to be the next Bob. He's the next Bob Dylan, and they all believed it. They all drank from the the punch bowl, and then and then it uh, didn't work. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've touched on um, your sobriety, which um, going on six years now or something like that. Right? Yes. Seven. Yeah. Seven. seven. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, as a creative, I'm kind of um, s sober curious right now. Like uh, okay. I, I might. So just a little Nate backstory. My, my dad passed away two years ago, um, cirrhosis of the liver, which uh. is the same thing that killed his father. So it was like a moment of, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know. Yeah. and, yeah. uh, but so how, ha how has that affected your creativity? Like, was there a fear of, yes. well, this is, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I never, you know, I always had this kind of reverence for, uh, you know, and, and for for what I was able to do or produce, I, I took it very seriously and I had a great respect for it. So I never really wrote when I was fucked up, but I mean, mm -hmm. I was 
always kind of fucked. I wasn't in that moment fucked up. Yeah. Then two hours later, six hours before that, there was, I would always write in the windows where I wasn't actually using it. And that's not entirely true, but it, most of the time. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So I, of course I was worried about it. And, and, and I had heard people in bathrooms at shows saying, what you going to write about now? You know, like, you know, like even people like the fan base at the city winery were going like, God, I hope it doesn't get boring. Like, so, and yeah, because there was the recklessness when you're using and uh, drinking, uh, yeah, you throw caution to the wind and there are amazing moments in those moments, you know, like there's transcendent moments you can get to. And cause you kind of lose your egoic self and you transcend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So like, will I be able to ever tap into that? Well, and man, I got to tell you, you know, the first year of sobriety performing, I was my legs instead of, you know, rock pose. It was they were together, like covering my genitalia. You know, I was nervous and, I was, you know, and yeah, it took a long. You got to relearn it all. You got to relearn having sex. You got to relearn having conversations with people. You got to relearn, you know, how to be kind. I mean, it's it's. And, it, and what the beauty in that, it's almost like going back to the pandemic thing. It was like, th- this is a great moment for new things and try to become a different person, you know, or not really be a different person, but f- recover who that person was that you buried long, long ago. And man, if you're curious about it, and that's, it's, uh, it's funny. And here's the thing. So I, I, Stephen King sober. And uh, so he, I had written him cause I was curious. And I, you know, I knew my life was getting out of control, getting away from me. So I said, Hey man, you know, and this is pre-email. So letters, you know, so he wrote me back a letter, um, eight page letter typed, you know, and it was all about his journey. And, and I would carry that folded thing. Uh, I didn't want my parents, I, I didn't want to take it with me traveling. So I kept it hidden and, uh, Whenever I'd go out and go to my crack houses or whatever, I'd sometimes I'd bring it with, and because that was a currency for me, because I could be like, I'm not like you losers, you know. Stephen King thinks I'm great, and yeah. I would I wouldn't say that to him, but I'd say, sure. hey, you guys want to see that King letter? And I and man, I got to tell you, in any of the drug houses, in, in in almost every drug house I was in, every crack house, every uh, den of uh, iniquity there were the great conversations and there was never more talk about God than in, than in a crack house. I swear to God, you know? And uh, I mean, they say any man who knocks on the door of a whorehouse is looking for God, you know? And that's, um, and that's, there's true. There's a, there was a, a search there. And uh, so anyway, but his letter was beautiful and, and I would read it. And on, when I was on three day runs or whatever, I'd cry at the end of it and read it and hide it again and pull it out a year later, whatever. So then when I finally got sober, I looked, I, I, I came upon it, I think. And, uh, and I looked at the date and I can't remember the date, uh, but it was, it was something like 16 years ago. Wow. And this is my first few days of sobriety. I thought you motherfucker, you know, like, and there was all this beauty and knowledge and wisdom in this, this folded up piece of paper. And I thought, what an asshole I am, you know, like, because I just, you know, I just kept going deeper and I would lean into the pitch and I was just like going down with the ship. And that's, that was the plan. And, uh, but in all the stuff and I rereading and I wept and I was reading it and it was all right there, man, all those. And I, and it, and it resonated. And before I think I was just, I wasn't even, the words weren't resonating. It was just to me to say 
this famous guy cares about me or whatever. It was some bullshit. No, yeah, sure. I was using it to to impress girls at a crack house. You know, imagine that. That's so uh, yeah. So, uh, but man, if you're curious about it, Nate, I'd lo- you know we could talk off off this, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, good. You know, like uh, uh, performing is really was the one thing I was concerned about. And yeah. um, you're um, great too. You're great. And I don't think. I mean, I I don't know what your process is now, but like you hooked me. You know, listening to you talk for thirty seconds, I was like, I literally stopped me. So you're great. You have something. So. You know, it, it, it'll it'll only get better. I swear to you. And I hate to sound like that guy. It'll no, just get, I believe it. Not be worried about that. You know, and it's just more real. It's more like it'll it'll mean more to you going up there and straight and and yeah, it's fucking nerve wracking. You know. Well, the funny thing about it is, um, I used to use it essentially um, to mask kind of that anxiety of performance yeah. or whatnot. And now, like, I just kind of harness that anxiety, and it's just become my personality. So, like, wait, wait I, I explain it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What you so, mean. like, um, just like the kind of spaced out like uh sober looking into the audience like just that that feeling of a kind of overwhelming feeling of like okay all eyes are on me shit you know like but now it's just like okay let me take that and let's just use that energy like into the pitch dude yeah and i do that sometimes i'll be like and i and i even did this i I can't remember not even that long ago i said you know i hate awkward silence on stage so let's have some (laughs) And I'll just be, and then people start laughing. I'm just like, that weird, but kind of cool, right? You know, and just like, yeah, lean in. Well, and then, it's like, then suddenly you're not so nervous. Like, okay. Um, uh, as, as an interview thing, that's one of the weirdest things is that, um, you know, it took me a long time to realize that pauses are natural and that you can have them in conversation, right. you know? I know, because, yeah, it kind of were raised like, you know, always fill the air. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's antiquated, I think, at this point. But yeah, just like, and yeah, and I mean, with the advent too of podcasts, long conversations. And that's the amazing thing because everybody's attention span has gotten so short that when I see Joe Rogan talking for three and a half hours, I'm like, who? I mean, I just, I literally don't have the time to sit and listen to Joe Rogan. But it's interesting as as a species, we're listening to these long things, which is kind of gives me hope that. You know, people are taking their time or, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is, really, because people aren't reading books. No. And it's really weird because it's kind of the opposite of the data, you know, because like everything's getting shorter, video clips, everything, <laughs> yeah. except for for some reason, podcasts, yeah. which I think is just that um, I think it's just a str- like because the and this might be a little heady but because the internet is such like a kind of disconnected thing any kind of thing you can find in that space that is a real connection and a lot of podcast conversations are real connections um it's almost like comforting to know that you know that's there and i think that's what people yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah it's that's it's got to be that because yeah everything else flies in the face of that you know I mean, music and I mean, you know, you get your 20 second sample and that's, you know, get to the chorus quicker. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. (laughs) Um, New album. Well, last album uh, came out in 2020 um, was uh, What in the World? Were you were did did you was that completed before everything shut down or were you still in the process? It it was. Yeah, it was. I think 
Yeah, it was definitely. Uh, so yeah, and I just went ahead with it because I thought uh, it was of the time, and I thought um, it should get out. and And it was. I'm glad it did. Uh, I'm glad it did come out. You know, it, I, I. It's hard to say if it did would have done better in a different time, but you know, I thought you have a captive audience. You know, everybody's at home, and yeah. uh, you know, we it was on it was on the radio uh, all the time here in Chicago. That song, "What in the World." And uh, but I thought, but nobody's in their cars because no one's going anywhere. <laughs> That's um, I interviewed Dan Reed and he said that was one of the biggest things of the pandemic was uh, Dan Reed's uh, the uh, yeah, DJ yeah, yeah. at 885. Yeah. yeah. And um, he said one of the biggest things was that there's no there was no drive time. So like the radio listenership just kind of plummeted. Oh, it did. Um, yeah. um, but the, they have such a strong member base that they were able to kind of support the station so right yeah xpn's kind of a yeah i mean i've been to houses in Phil, the philly area and xpn so like on in the house somewhere you know like yeah house. yeah it's it's a key thing here um so you know the 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 opening uh title track um you said it was getting a lot of play on the uh on on the radio or whatnot i'm sure your fans kind of know your politics but was there any pushback yeah. to that Absolutely. yeah, yeah. it's amazing yeah, I know it's it's it was startling to me, and my wife took it very personally. Uh, I didn't, um, but yeah, people, you know, you're gonna, you know, uh, yeah, I, I lost plenty of people, you know, and yeah. and I I would always and even before that, I mean, people would leave the show, and I, so I'd open with it. I said I like to weed out the week early, you know, <laughs> and uh, so like good, go ahead and leave, you know, they they bought the ticket, I got the money, yeah. You know? Uh, and so, you know, and there was, uh, yeah, it is. And, and people, you know, the people that built, had my set of, uh, ideas loved it. And, uh, but yeah, it's not, it's now a song I, I don't really know what to do with. Um, because I mean, it's still, obviously a lot of those things are all still in play except yeah. the president's a criminal, you know, that's, <laughs> but I gotta, I just gotta think of uh, a different, uh, a different line, I think, but yeah, it, could, it still totally applies, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you know, it's, it's one of the things that like, um, I feel like is almost missing and, or, or maybe it's just something I miss, um, from music is kind of music that, uh, says something. Cause like, I, you know, I grew up listening to like all of the great protest songs and, you know, right. we've, you know, we were talking Bob Dylan, you know, like just, just songs that mean something, you know, um, yeah. I was a, I was a big Phil Oaks guy. Oh um, my God. Yeah, and, uh, so like, you know, I, I listened to songs like, you know, love me, I'm a liberal. And I'm like, where is that now? Like, where yeah. is like taking, just everybody to task and uh yeah. but um i love that songs you know oh, thank a, you. yeah there are some people doing it you know i mean but i think yeah man like will hogue put out a like an album that uh yeah just i think people i don't know it's funny people are, are even people that uh have your set of beliefs you know, I, I don't think it's something that there's so much of it. I think then now it's going to permeate in the music. I think before, you know, back in the Dylan Phil Oaks days, there probably wasn't as much <clears throat> content on in the media anyway. So right. the, the voice, that was where if you wanted to hear those things, you'd go to, it, it was like the modern day MSNBC or whatever, you know, but like now <clears throat> uh, it's so everywhere that sometimes, I, yeah, I, you know, I don't even want to talk about it, you know? Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, so I have to ask, um, Halloween steam. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah. How did that come about? Well, my, yeah. So uh, it was my manager's idea, I think. Uh, yeah, it was some years ago. I mean, it, we've been doing it for a while now because, you know, I was always do- uh, hounded by the Springsteen uh, comparisons. And it was something like, I mean, so when Rolling Stone wrote their first, I remember, you know, I did an interview with Rolling Stone before that first record. And, and then my manager called and said, well, we got the, we got the, you know, before I went to print, you know, we got the article. I was like, okay, read it to me. You know? And, and the first line was when you're a kid from Orland Park, Illinois, and you look like Jordan Knight from new kids on the block and sound like Bruce Springsteen, things could be a lot worse for the 20 year old. Da-da. And I was like, and I literally wanted to drop the phone. I'm like, my first time in Rolling Stone, that's, that's, that's the open the, line. Are you wow. fucking kidding me? I was mortified. So then I was, you know, then I was like, anyway, uh, so then I was like, kind of, I got to get away from like the short hair, Bruce Springsteen, fuck all that, you know? And this was also 1991 and, you know, Nirvana came out right then Pearl Jam. And then I went to Seattle and <clears throat> was there for a while. So um, for years it was like Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen. And I thought it would go away eventually, but just ne- never, never does. And so as my manager was like, let's just like, again, to use that phrase overused I've used today this morning with you, but uh, lean into the pitch, you know, like, let's just do a show of Springsteen stuff, you know, cause like I love Bruce, but I just couldn't ever talk about it. I didn't want to, I didn't, I stopped listening to it for probably 10 years. You know, I just wouldn't like, I can't, I don't want it to influence me in a way that keeps this thing going. And uh, so, yeah, we just have fun. It's a full band thing and the horns and, uh it's just a lot of fun we do actually do some tom petty now too but uh it's just a fun night of covers really yeah that's really awesome that is so awesome so so um do you want to go through the jauntlet here um do you want to try some of these questions okay yeah all right all right so we always start with the one hit wonders one hit wonder number one billy joel or elton john billy joel you're the first one that's, really? I've, been, I've been waiting for it. Yeah. Um, I've had, you know, I was really worried because um, I, I was just telling, uh, I had Nicole Atkins on the show and I was just telling her that like, this is a revised list because I had some that like nobody was picking both, you know, so like it was so uneven, but one of them was like uh, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar. And of course everybody was picking David Lee Roth. Right. So I was starting to worry about this one and the, you know, I've only done it three or four times, but thank you for picking Billy Joel. And, and it's brilliant too, the jawline. I love it. Hello. Okay. So what else? Uh, number two, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Oh, man. Yeah, Debbie Harry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that it's one's, tough. Uh, that one's tough. tough. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, what's no, the scoring on that? How many is it even? Um, that's pretty even. As a matter of fact, um, that's probably the one that people have the hardest time picking. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Oh, Aretha Franklin. Yeah, definitely. This is one, this one's so heavy weighed that I might, this might be the one that they could bounce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Oh, Nirvana. Yeah. Okay. It, that's a tough one too, because yeah, I mean, I, I love them both. Um, I think, yeah, Nirvana. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks from me. Uh, I, I could see why a lot of people would say Janis Joplin. My daughter's got a Janis Joplin. Oh, she's got, she, she has both on her wall. And okay. she's a little, yeah. Uh, she, yeah, I know, right? She's, and yeah. she's got ACDC. I mean, I'm like, you, you know, did it like, right. I, I know. 
right? did it right. I, I mean, she still loves, you know, Billie Eilish and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so she's got both of those. That's great. Yeah, but I would pick Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Okay, okay. good, good, good. Uh, Beatles or Stones? The Stones, for sure. But I got to tell you, my daughter's gotten me into the Beatles. Like, I was just, like, almost anti-Beatle for a long time. Just because back in the day, it was like you, you had to pick one. It was like you yeah. couldn't the Cubs and the White Sox, you got to pick one. So I was always, the Stones were my guys and they were dirtier and less. And the Beatles, you know, like <clears throat> as you're, as you're growing up, like playing guitar and, you know, I have a limited capacity and the Beatles, like, so my daughter, anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, the, my daughter's all into the Beatles and she's also learning how to play guitar. And I'm like, you're killing yourself like i don't even know some of these chords like yeah. you know like this is way too, why don't you, you know like i could teach you jumping jack flash in a second you know like uh you know that'd be mo- way easier on you but she knows she's all about the beatles and eleanor rigby i'm like i don't know if i can help you so uh i think that's one of those things though that i felt like the, the beatles were like this kind of almost otherworldly like you, i can't do that thing mm-hmm. but when i heard stones i could do that Oh, I could do that. Uh, That's a, you know, so, uh, and, you know, it makes a a brilliant lyricist when, you know, I mean, uh, Sympathy for the Devil is stacked. I mean, really amazing lyrics. When he put his mind to it, he was as good as it gets. Um, But yeah, it's tough now because the Beatles are, I mean, when you hear those songs, I mean, everyone's just so good. They're like perfect, the perfect songs, you know? Yeah. like yesterday and all that stuff. I hear my daughter playing. I'm like, God, I thought that, you know, anyway, so I will for my vote for the jauntlet, the Rolling Stones. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've only asked one other person. And it's, and it's, it's only when I know that somebody might have an opinion on this and I've only just learned it in the past year, but um, wild horses by the stones written by Mick and Keith were written by Graham Parsons. There's oh. a conspiracy theory that Graham Parsons actually wrote it um, in a session with all of them and oh, just really? let them have it. Yeah. I've never heard that. Um, yeah. I, be- I believe it. I don't know. It's, it, yeah. I mean, I could, I could see him coming up with maybe the idea for the song or a, or a line. It is, very, I mean, yeah, it's so identified with Mick and Keith. And I used to read when i was in like eighth grade i would do like anything anything i could in history class you write about a moment in history i would write about the rolling stones you know like anything like in math class like the one four five chord you know I go with, uh so like whatever it was it was about the stones now graham parsons i mean obviously there's a lot of mystery about him anyway and um and i like there's there's a do you know the 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 designer that people wear in nashville a lot the rhinestone uh, yeah the nudie suits yes. Yeah, so that was made by this guy, Manuel, and I know Manuel, and he claims he was with Graham out in the desert burning his body, too. I mean, you know, like, there's so many mythic uh, stories about Graham. It's hard to believe that. I don't know. I mean, because I know Keith and he were friends. It's totally possible. I mean, that's why it's probably a good conspiracy, because it's possible. What do you think? I, um, I didn't have any thought on it until like they started like the guy who wrote the article had like all of these clues and there's like supposedly a reference to Graham's sister in the song and um and stuff like that and now i can't i can't not see it like it's uh-huh. really weird um i'll have to try to dig that article back up and forward it through to you like it's yeah. really really fascinating though there was um it, Graham's uh 
uh, daughter, Polly, uh, and I were friends. And she, uh, great girl, attractive lady. And she was sober. And when I was in L.A., uh, she, yeah, she was helpful to me. I mean, I wasn't ready. You know, like you have to be ready, as they say. But she was yeah. uh, she was great. And I never, but we never talked about her dad. It was like when I was you know, when I first met Jacob Dylan, like I was going to his house and uh, they said, don't talk about Bob, you know? And I was like, really? Like, okay. You know, because yeah. it's like a thing. And Jake is so funny. Like, and it was funny. You'd be in the house and like, you know, they're making dinner and, you know, you go to people's houses, like you'd look at their walls and photos and stuff. And, and at one point I was like, just looking and I was like, oh. and cause I'd, you know, my brain forgot where I was. Sure. There was Bob in this, you know, like in this family photo, I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, it's almost like not mentioning it becomes awkward. So yeah. Jacob would bring it up, you know, and then we talked about it and how he thought Springsteen's a better writer than his dad. And I was like, dude, you're out of your mind. Like, uh, so, and then and Jake, uh, what he did when that record, that record came out and he was, you know, uh, but one of his funny bits was that they'd say, you know, with every interview he was getting asked, what's your favorite record by your dad? What's your favorite record by your dad? So he would he would always say Moon Dance. You know, that was the- <laughs> awesome. There's a, there's a great Dylan quote I read one time, um, and it, I forget what album it had just released, but um, it, he was interviewed in Rolling Stone and they were like, you know, asking what his thoughts were on how the critics kind of responded to it. And he said something along the lines of, you know, when someone else releases an album, it's not put up against Blonde on Blonde, you know, which right, was right. like a stellar thing. And That's- I think that I think the same thing with like Jacob and uh, Sean Lennon and like, you know, guys yeah. who have put out quality music like like, yes, there might have been kind of a door because of who their father was but also the 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 threshold of what you have to live up to like you can't be mediocre like because you will just get dragged for it and i've always really appreciated um that you know those guys have kind of pushed through it you know there's guys who haven't you know and um but but yeah it's, it's uh yeah it's a different you know uh yeah he's very i think he's got a really good grip on um we, uh, yeah, I was, I was arrested at a, uh, at a wallflower show. Uh, and uh, yeah. And that was, you know, we had Jake and I haven't been friends in a while, but, uh, I still love him. And, uh, but he's got a really good grip on it, but yeah, it's a different, it, he, because, you know, I wonder it, cause that record was huge that bringing down the horse out and it yeah. was great, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that because he couldn't get signed to save his life. And then a uh, little known story, though, Brian Koppelman had him come to New York. He was playing in Cantor's Deli and uh, and had him come to New York. And Jacob, Jake told me this independently of Brian did, too. But um, he said by the time he got home, uh, he had, you know, everybody, every label, major label had left an answering machine message like, just because they heard, oh, compliments got him coming to New York. And then, he's, oh, it, wow. Yeah, it was just, and it, so he ultimately went with, I can't remember what label, uh, Interscope or something. But, uh, but yeah, it was hard for him to say to Brian, like, uh, you know, he's a, and Brian was cool about it. And, uh, but yeah, so it's, that was a classic industry thing. Like they didn't want to miss out on something, but, you know, he couldn't get arrested. And then, and then anyway, it went on to huge success. But that was, sorry. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. All right, the final uh, one-hit wonder, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? 
Uh, yeah, I got it. Oh man. My daughter's going to kill me. I think, I, I think I'd go, I mean, it, Bohemian Rhapsody, I guess we got to go with that. I think, cause I, I mean, I, but I haven't heard Stairway to Heaven in a long time. Um, and I hear Bohemian Rhapsody probably every other day in this house. Oh, really? so, well, I'm a little worn out on it, but it's a brilliant piece of music without question. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the production of that center, that centerpiece of that is just. And that's another otherworldly thing. Like as a kid, you wouldn't go like, I want to do something like that. Like, right. it, it's so like, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I guess you got to go with that. I mean, Stairway to Heaven is pretty amazing too, but, uh, but that, those are good, man. I love those. Okay. All right. So the top 10 countdown, as we kind of discussed, as things started here, John can mean anything you want it to be. So, right. uh, so number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with? The Rolling Stones. Yeah. yeah. First John would have been, yeah. And like, cause I was the geek with the concert shirt, the jersey, you know, with the white sleeves and the black, the tongue, the hat, the pins, the jacket, the wallet, all Rolling Stones. All right. I love it. Uh, <laughs> number two, uh, what's your current, John? What are you into right now? Well, so uh, so last night we watched the finale of Ted Lasso, I guess I would say that. Um, and, you know, that. so do you watch it? Do you watch Ted Lasso? I've um, I'm. Uh, halfway through the first season. I'm a little, I'm a little behind. Okay. So, yeah. So, so we watched the first episode and I was kind of like, I don't get it. Like, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't into it and then put it away. And then people just kept talking about it, talking about it. And I thought, okay, well, to my wife, let's watch the second one. And then we got into it and I find it really surprisingly, I mean, it's funny, but it's surprisingly emotional for me. And as you get deeper into it, Nate, I can't tell you, but you, Stick with it, though. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. We'll, we'll, we'll double back in. We'll double okay. back in. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? The Rolling Stones. Yes. Uh, no, that's right. yeah, November of 1981, Tattoo or, yeah, Tattoo You Tour. The Neville Brothers opened. The first time I smelled weed. Uh, yeah, that was it. Changed that's a, that's a That's a life changer. Right. Uh, number four, what was the last concert you went to? The last concert uh, was Sinead O'Connor at City Winery in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And she's amazing. And she's so broken. And it's and she's so beautiful, though. Her brokenness, I find really compelling and amazing and heroic in some ways. I do. You know, uh, and she's fearless. Yeah. You know, she's something else, I think. She's a, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, number five, what was your favorite concert you've ever been at? I think uh, I don't know what year. Probably the it, and I don't know if it was the most amazing show though. I think it was probably great, but I remember the moment. It was uh, oh, I think it was a uh, Joshua Tree tour. It was just something really like almost really like heightenedly spiritual about that. And I remember at one point, I think when he was doing like. Well, the blue sky doing the slapping down those dollar bills or something like that really just it brought gave me chills off chills. Yeah, I remember that vividly. Yeah, that's so. So that would be like, yeah, it was probably because it was just the most unique. Oh, you know what though? Uh, Actually, another U two show, the early first run of the Zoo, Zoo TV tour. That was a mind fuck. You know, like that was yeah. all the visuals. That was. I'm gonna go with that. 
Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So you do 1990, 91 or something. Yeah. It sounds yeah. about right. That sounds What's about yours? Right. What's yours? Um, so it goes, I, I have two answers. All right. One or, or actually kind of three. One is, um, I don't know if you remember the spectrum in Philadelphia, sure. um, but the last few shows, the spectrum Pearl jam, I think did three uh-huh. nights there. Yeah. And um, I was there for not the last night, but the night before. And it was just, it was, it was uh, like you said, it was otherworldly. Like there was a, a, an energy that I've never kind of experienced before. What year? Uh, God, 2000 and maybe or something like that 2000 somewhere around there um but my my honest answer and it's kind of sappy and sentimental is i saw beck um at the exponential music festival in 2014 and it was a weekend of what was um my my girlfriend and i's kind of first uh experience going out somewhere um, not in the not in a car or a bar or something like that right, it was right. our first experience um and it started to rain we had lawn seats and we just started dancing in the rain and like every uh, song was a was was just yeah. an experience and that's definitely yeah. that whole experience you know independent of what was going on on stage right right that's beautiful was yeah. was, was next level um num- yeah. number six who have you never seen live that you would love to, that you wish you would have living or dead uh wow um, I don't know. The the doors are coming to mind. That that would be an interesting show. I think, yeah. and and yeah, like, um, I never saw the Who. I think the Who back in like the late sixties would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, I sadly um I bought had tickets. I went to for the Who. And um, it was the year that Entwistle passed away and they oh. had to reschedule the date. Um, but it did give me one of my favorite concert moments, which was um, uh, Pete introducing the band. And he's, you know, um, he introduces Zach and then um, on, on drums and then uh, or maybe it was Jason Bottom. I can't remember who was with. Him. I think right. it was Jason Bottom. Um, uh, but then he introduces Pino Palandino as and now uh, replacing another who corpse is Pino Palandino. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, my God, the man just passed away. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw Pete and Eddie Vedder at House of Blues in Chicago doing uh, it was some benefit or something. That was it was pretty cool. Um, but wait, you, you sparked another idea. Um, oh, the who I remember in <clears throat> I think it was 1980 or something, and I remember the Who's record. It's hard, and it was their farewell tour, and I couldn't get tickets, and I wept because I couldn't get tickets to their farewell tour. And, you know, what are we, Little did you four, know four years later and they're still yeah. playing. Like, That's right. Every tour was their farewell tour, but, and I still haven't seen them. You know. yeah, you still- <laughs> <laughs> um, number seven, name an unappreciated John name, something you wish had more kind of shine to it, more focus on it. Ooh. Besides uh, yourself, sir. What? Yeah. I said besides yourself. Yeah. Besides myself. Um, I would say musically, probably, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, I would say uh, uh, Matthew Ryan, Ike Riley, those are two, and they're, they're friends of mine. Uh, those two guys, I think, that are great, that are um, underappreciated, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Uh, number eight, what's your favorite album? Oh, man. Well, it, it wouldn't be Blonde on Blonde. It might be Bringing It All Back Home by Bob Dylan. Uh, 
You know, what's, what's weird is one might be all the best cowboys have Chinese eyes. Do you know that? The Pete Townsend album? Yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant. And I think what struck me about that is that it's so much like, and it's not like uh, a poetry to music thing, but it's, it was beautifully poetic where it, the, it didn't rhyme necessarily. It was just kind of like, really, I don't know. I haven't heard it in a long time, but that record fucked me up uh, for a long time. And um, yeah. So yeah, that's interesting that it would even, I would even say that. Uh, yeah. Otherwise bringing it all back home. Octoon baby has got to be up there. Uh, you know, Peter Gabriel's Us album. Mm. Yeah. All right. I think, okay. Yeah, yeah it's perfect. I'm it's perfect. thinking all day about it. I'm going to go, oh, I should have said, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's one of those ones you're in the shower and all of a sudden it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 I forget that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number eight, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release, even if you have to be unapologetic for it or apologetic for it. Oh, wow. Uh, I... It, there's not a lot, I would say. I think there is a, you know, I guess, I mean, it's a, such a lame answer, but, you know, Dylan, I'll always go check out. Tom Waits, I'll always go check out to see what he's doing. Peter Gabriel, I'll always go check out. Even if I don't go deep on it, I'll I'll check it out. Um, there are some peers that I like, you know, like a Jason Isbell, I'll always go see what he's doing. Um, but, but I don't want to... And I, I do protect myself. I don't listen to a ton of stuff because I don't want to, because I, I have a way of just kind of becoming that thing. Like I yeah. hear a whatever song and then suddenly I'll be like, wait, who is that? You know, like, you know, and I'll be like, oh, it's a ripoff of that song that my daughter was just listening to. You know, it's like I'm really bad with that. So I try not to consume too much of that. Uh, but there, there are people that I'm always kind of like secretly kind of keeping an eye on. Yeah. yeah. I got you. I got you. Uh, the 10th and final question of the top 10 gown town. What is your favorite John of all time? Again, can be anything. you anything. Want to think. Uh, My favorite John of all time. Now I'm going to. Well, so lately my, my favorite John is uh, Raymond Chandler. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been in, it was pandemic based, but I've been very just consuming so much of him and, and Philip Marlowe, man, to me, like, like he's become part of my psyche. Like I think like Marlowe, that was crazy, not healthy. Um, it's still might me trying to be somebody else than I, than I really am. Uh, yeah, that uh, also um, I have this new way of making popcorn that I love, which is organic oil and a whirly pop with uh, heirloom popcorn. It's the best. Uh, yeah, those are my those are my two current like things that I'm very heightenly focused on. I love it. I uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to pass this recipe on to my girlfriend. She is a do, popcorn do connoisseur. Whirly pop, twenty five bucks at Bed Bath and Beyond. Just you know, Whole Foods, the organic oil. Uh, you know, it's not too bad. Sometimes a little coconut oil too, just to, if you get bored, but then the heirloom popcorn, I think it just cooks better than regular sized popcorn, organic heirloom popcorn and also at Whole Foods. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. So what do you, what are you working on now? What, what do you, what do you got coming up? Well, so I have a, uh, I have a record in, almost ready to be mixed to come out in May of 2022. I wrote my memoirs during the pandemic, which was very interesting and a really uh, 
arduous journey because so much of it was unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, however, I think most of it's hysterical. One of the main characters in the book, not even a main character, but a guy I ran with who was kind of part of much of the mayhem. Uh, I changed his name and I was, I hadn't talked to him in a while and we were talking and going, piecing together this, the stories of, uh, of some of the mania. He, um, he's out in LA and, and uh, I, you know, so we were reconnecting and laughing and texting and emailing and all that. And like, dude, what was that thing at your apartment and blah, blah, blah when he lived here. But anyway, so then two weeks ago, I, um, I texted him. I said, Oh my God, this other guy, this other maniac that we used to party with uh, was found unresponsive and died. Oh my God. I wrote him that. I said, you know, Kevin passed away and he was like, fuck man. Like, and, uh, and then, so that night I sent him that text out in California. Uh, His wife and two year old daughter got up in the morning on Saturday morning to go uh, to wake up and start their Saturday. He was dead on the couch. And uh, I know dude. And it's like, Oh my God, you know, 52 and fuck. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad in some light way that I got this, we got this part of the book, even though it's not like flattering and it's, it makes us out to be a couple of stark raving drug addict lunatics, you know? Um, so that's been, you know, so I've done that. And so I've never written a book before. And, and so I had Owen King of Stephen King's son, uh, kind of line edited it. And then TJ English, who's a, uh, you know, nonfiction he wrote the book the westies and uh writes you know this tr- like true oh, it's kind. a familiar name yeah new york times bestseller. like so he uh he then went through it and and um you know so i'm relieved that they both really loved it and he had said boy when you when you get into that drug part of the book it just hums <laughs> like because wow. it's like it's better than just crazy drug stories you know yeah. so that i'm gonna that's gonna come out in september of 22 uh because then i I'm, still have a some editing to do on that and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and it's, uh, going deep on your own life is something everybody should do. I think, you know, everybody should write their own story, whether anybody wants to read it or not, you know, uh, it get, it can, you have to confront a lot of things about yourself and some most aren't pleasant. And, um, so that's, that was really interesting and, and gross. And like, I'd feel nauseous sometimes reliving some of, you know, the people I hurt and, uh, mm-hmm. the decisions I made in those moments and, um, and the you know the people I've lost through that you know drugs and drink man I mean it takes everything it really just does and 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 you know and I always I would always joke that checks in the mail for me too you know when you abuse yourself for that many years it's hard to you know nobody gets out of here alive is mm-hmm. that and um, but yeah so it's just uh, it's it was really interesting for me uh, a learning experience really just to learn what a what a dumb monkey can do. Yeah. Going through that, are you able to um, kind of um, look at that with kind eyes or like, can you forgive yourself? That's the process, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you know, but sometimes I would go in and my wife even knew she's like, you okay? Like I just, you know, after spending the day writing, I just be like, like, God, like, cause it doesn't feel like me at all anymore. I don't feel yeah. that, literally like writing about somebody else, but then, you know, you have those moments where you go, you know, that was you dude, you know, and it's amazing that I'm even here to write about, it, you know? Um, so that'll be an interesting, you know, thing. I don't think I'm going to try to get a publisher. I think I'll just sell it as like part of shows and, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I, I was worried when Owen and TJ both said it's great, you know, I was, um, cause I said, be merciless. You know, I, yeah. if it's 
be embarrassing. Don't let me put it out there. And so they were great. And they, you know, and they all had get rid of that. You don't need that. That's dull. You don't need to talk about basketball. You don't have to, you know, so, uh, you know, so that that's been really helpful. So. Uh, that's great. That's great. So how can these people find you on the internet? Give them a uh, path. Yeah. The website is uh, www.michael-mcdermott.com. And, uh, you know, Twitter is, I don't know, just at Michael McDermott. And uh, that's it. And um, yeah, I'm just, or just regular old Google. That's perfect. That's perfect. Michael, thank you so much um, for uh, this was an amazing conversation. And, hey, thank um, you. And, and dude, keep doing what you do. Uh, you, you're a special person. I can tell that. And I've met a lot of special and I've met a lot of unspecial and I know what category you, you fall in. So, and uh, watch the drinking. How fantastic was that? My thanks again to Michael McDermott for not only coming on the show, but for blessing me with such an amazing conversation. You can find Michael on the internet at www.michael-mcdermott.com and on Twitter at Michael McDermott and on Instagram at Michael McDermott Music. And you can find Michael's music on Spotify, Apple Music, and available to purchase on his website. And if you're in the Philadelphia area, I'll be playing a show with former guest Scott Miller on Halloween night at Tex-Mex Connection in North Wales from 4 to 7 p.m. What's that? You can't make it, but you still want to see it? Well, you're in luck as the show will be streamed live on the Yo That's My John Facebook page. Who says I never give you anything? If you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Just go there and hit subscribe. You can join us weekly. And as always, if you want to show off just how cool you are and you want to earn yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, you can do so just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yothatsmyjohn for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel and like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. Like and subscribe and like and subscribe and like and subscribe. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Another day, another episode. Thank you for spending a little time in my universe. I got some cool things on the horizon and I hope you come along for the ride. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be measured. You ain't being judged. You won't get Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs> <laughs>